Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? We at the Howie Games present to you episode 204 of the podcast Part A, featuring three-time AFL Premiership player with Brisbane and Collingwood Premiership coach Craig McRae. How sweet it is! Collingwood win the grand final! And welcome to the stage, the coach, Craig McRae. Let's not mess around. Short introduction from me today. Here is a story of a footballer who was told he wasn't good enough numerous times, of a coach who brings joy and happiness to football, and a person who has zero fear of failure. Combine all that and you have a very, very impressive fella. Thanks to Cass Kane, Tom Petroro, and the legend that is Sally Harris at TLA for making this episode happen. Enjoy the story of Craig McRae, a man who you would love to have coaching your kids, and I can offer no higher praise than that. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Well, this is exciting. Uh, the reigning premiership coach who just walked in here and said, I don't really like talking about myself, so this is going to be an interesting hour and a half. Craig McRae, welcome to the show, mate. I am very appreciative of your time. How are you going? Thanks, Howie. Yeah, good to be here. It's not my favourite topic myself, <laughs> I must admit. So how, how are we going to negotiate? I, I said to you as soon as you walked in, the last person to say that was the wonderful superstar that is Elise Perry. I said, Elise, you're going to have to talk a little bit about yourself. She said, oh, I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. No, you probably see me sort of fidgety and <laughs> chumpy on the seat, but see where we go, huh? We'll try and make it as comfortable for you as possible. Um, I was just thinking, uh, MJ, who's been with me on this show from the start, and, and he's a massive Collingwood fan, and he was excited about you coming in here. And I, I, I was driving up and I was reflecting on some of the people that have been on this show. Um, and three struck him in my mind, mate. John Aloisi, penalty guy in 2005. He's had 18 years of people wanting to talk positively about him. Kathy Freeman's now had 23 years of it, but the one that really struck me is, uh, I don't know if you know him, a guy called John Bertrand. I, I love John. Oh, you know John? I right. Know, yeah. Well, we can talk about John in a moment. So 983 wins the America's Cup. So that's, that's four, he's had 40 years fly of people coming up and positively engaging with him because he did something very monumental in their lives. Mm-hmm. So you've had four months of it. What's it like when you walk into a room and there's a blokey like MJ and it means the world to him what you and your club were able to achieve? Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. And um, I haven't lost sight of the, the the nature of the success for Collingwood. And you know, just in the storytelling, you know, even just yesterday, just someone sharing a story about their, their sick brother and he got to see the game and what it meant to the whole family. And hmm. there's many, many tales like that. Um yeah, I've tried to, I've tried to, as much as I can, step outside of the job and step into shoes of others. And, and, and my way of doing that in some ways, after every win, and we've had, lucky enough to have a few, I, I go home and have a red wine and watch the replay. And, and then I watch the crowd and I listen and, hmm. and embed myself of, of others' feelings if I could or if I can. Um, so I, doesn't, I don't lose sight of it. And, and, and one of the things I wanted to do when I took over from the job was to take the fans on, on the ride bring them along because of COVID, because of disconnection, because of mm. paying membership without getting to go. One reason, but I think the club itself, Collingwood, I wanted to give the club back to its people a bit, as much as I could, realistically. Um, so that's been a bit of the, the storytelling. But I don't lose sight of the fact that this means a lot to a lot of people. It, it, it will happen for you for the next 40, 50 years of your life. Well, you, you will be that connection point where people want to come and say, hey, mate, I was here, I was there, I was watching it in Tokyo, or I, I was with my dog, or whatever it may be. Well, John Bertram, you mentioned his name. I, I've, I've been lucky enough. It was literally the first week I started, we went for a walk of, of the tan. And um, all the staff were just going to go for a walk and get to know each other. And and I saw John at the lights up the top of um, the tan. And, and we got a young staff that had no idea who he was, but I did. Of I, grew up, did. I grew up watching... Um, well, I was only young at Millie. Yeah, you would have been similar to me, the America's Cup. Yeah, and I remember how big it was and Bob Hawke and all the s- stories that, that go with it. And so I introduced myself. And I knew Bo- uh, knew um, John was 
recently or previously involved with Collingwood in some capacity. I yeah. don't know if he was on the board, but I knew he had, had I'd seen him in the club before. Anyway, I introduced myself and we started walking a little bit to, he was getting a coffee. Um, and I just said, oh, John, would, would you mind? Maybe we could catch up and walk the town together. And, and we exchanged numbers and the next week, and here I am next week walking the town with John Bertram. And I just can't, I'm just, I idolize the man. I hear, I've got a huge man crush. He, I've said this before, but he, he just makes my mind think like I've never thought and, and listen to his storytelling and he provokes questions and. He's very inquisitive. I, I yeah. remember we finished the podcast and he gave me 25 minutes of questions about the podcast and how it works and how you can increase your viewership or how you can make <laughs> it. He asked me all these questions. I thought, I'm four years into this and I haven't thought of any of these. Nah. And then he said, yeah, next week I'm off to Silicon Valley. I'll I know. Go, I see why. I know. He's, an, he's such an inspiration, isn't he? And his wife, um, Raza, she's swimming in, in um, yeah, international meets or not quite, but master's events and things at her age. And they're just an inspiration. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I like surrounding myself with, with people like this that make you think differently and inspire to do different things. So yeah, he's one of the he's one of the true uh, legends of the world, isn't he? So uh, I'm sure because there would be so many of them, but is there a particular interaction you might have had with someone post the grand final that, that maybe you didn't know that has expressed to you and it's hit you and thought, wow, this means so much, not, not to just us as our organisation, but to the greater community? Walking out to my doorstep, Two days after grand final, having an old man walking his dog just cry in front of me was like, wow. You know, like was that, he really? Just smacked me right in, front, in the eyes. And huh. um, No, there's just many, many. And, and and even just getting back to work now where you see so many fans with just still smiles on their faces. You know, and, that, and that's what the luxury of a premiership does is you get that six-month window of that you haven't lost a game, you haven't missed a kick, haven't missed a goal. and So you get to sit in it a bit. I, I think that's a bit of a luxury that people lose sight of. How many times do you watch the game back? Uh, I'm probably close to 10. Close. <laughs> but, but, but and do you watch it for different things or yeah. you just watch it for the joy it provides? Well, early days I'm thinking, I'm a bit bored, there's nothing else, so let's just whack it on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think I've seen little bits of it. Just in recent time we've had a lot of, um, you know, the, the things for, for um, commercial opportunities that – you know, we're doing commentary to it, certain parts of it, and so it gets put back in your face. I'm not quite tired of it yet, but I'm I'm definitely nearly close to okay. just like let's get busy and move on. Um, there comes a time, doesn't there? Well, talking about moving on, I, I can only imagine you normally finish on a Saturday at say five o'clock. I don't know how quickly your mind. Well, say say Collingwood finishes a game at five o'clock. You're in the room to sing the song. How long till your mind, in a home and away, flicks to what's happening next Saturday at two o'clock? Week to week. Yeah, reasonably quickly. And I and I've I must admit I've changed a lot in, in my life. I um, yeah, I would I would go what's next really quickly. Like, are we talking that that night? Oh, <laughs> halfway through the song. Some, sometimes, sometimes my previous life as a person, I would be thinking really quickly and I know it could be, yeah, it's halfway through the song in my life. And, right. and, but it, I've changed so much and, I, and and we all want to evolve and be better versions of ourselves. Well, yeah, at least I do. And, and I, I want to smell the roses more. I don't know. I don't know why I haven't in the past, but I haven't had an ability to do it well. And, and maybe it's helped me move quickly. Mm. Okay. In good and bad. So, it's, you know, good times, so let's keep moving and bad times, oh, I'm going to keep moving. So it's helped me get through and be resilient and things. And But I, I've got to a point in my life, I don't want to keep doing that. And I've said this to the players, particularly post game, we want to have deep wins. And I, I heard a podcast, Pippa Grange and uh, Brene Brown talk about deep mm -hmm. wins and shallow losses, talking about how people can feel unfulfilled after success because they have, you know, Shallow wins and what's next? And what's next? And and I'm thinking I've reflected a bit. I thought, yeah, that's true. And I don't want to. I don't want to have our players leave the game unfulfilled. And now premierships can be joyful, but do they fulfil you? There is a difference. Um, success is exciting, and everyone wants it, but does it really fill your cup? And so we 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 want to we want to have an environment where we've created and we. Pretty much this year, we we tried to have deep wins, sit in it for a bit longer, as much as we can, smell it, taste it. Hey, we're okay here, and then get in, have an ability to, to to get to work Monday and get better. And then conversely, if you lose, 
hey boys, shallow losses, we'll learn lessons, we're moving on. So that was been a bit, of a bit of a mantra. So you rock up Monday and you wouldn't know if we won or lost. But yeah, I'm just subtly trying to buy more roses. And how, how long did you have the roses period before you thought about season 2024 after season 2023? Yeah, it was probably about six weeks. And was that just a fantastic six weeks? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was nice to sit in it. And, and like I said about the wins post-grand final, you get a bit more grace. Um, you know, you don't have five days to prepare for the next game or, you know, the, the what-ifs and if-onlys in life. Uh, so, yeah, we sat in it and as a family and, and, and then, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of nappies to be changed. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so there's been, it's been a great time and I, I don't recall a, a time in my life where um, I probably used the analogy that I've been a bit of a circus juggler in life, you know, trying to keep the balls in the air and of all sorts of things and, and I haven't had too many times in my life where I felt like I'm juggling all the balls right now. Right, which is great to hear. Before we get to where it all started for you, um, I know the, the boys came back and you were on a, a management course. And I know coaches do a lot of this. I'd heard Chris Scott do it in the past. Did you go to Harvard? I did, yeah. So but before you, what did you learn? What Like, how good to Harvard? Yeah, well, the, the whole experience was incredible. You know, you, you look at the rich history and, you know, you think about who's been there and, uh, and then I'm embedded in this course with 150 people from 75 different countries and, huh. and not many know AFL footy. The only ones that knew it were the other Australians that were there. Right. Um, so it was a great experience. The course itself was on authentic leadership. Which means what? Well, being authentic and, and leading with authenticity. And most people that know me think that's a bit of my one would. Yep. And, and I'd like, I have good self-awareness. I think I do have good, um, yeah, ability to be authentic and be real. And so I'm there and the lecturer stands in front of us and says, we're here to transform you and change you. <laughs> oh, I've just got my frilled neck lizard up going, <laughs> you're not going to change me. <laughs> and uh, like most people in the, in the world, we don't like to be changed no. or told they're going to change you. But I, I like to grow. So I'll... Greg here from Sullivan's Beach in Adelaide. Not prepared. <laughs> a long way from Harvard. A long way from Harvard. If you Google Maps that, and you'll find it's a long way from Harvard. And I uh, put my hand up and said, oh, I don't really like the word change. Um, I'm here to grow. And most people, I think, that I work with in our industry like the word growth, not change. And, um, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity for that. And I'm not sure if the lecturer liked it, but... Um, you didn't get kicked out on day yeah, one, did you? day one, I've got a... There's a, there's a warning. <laughs> Yellow card. But, but I think that sort of sums me up a little bit. I, I'm prepared to say what I, what I feel, and I think that's being authentic. And, and not doesn't always mean I have to please everyone. But I did have this wrestling with myself about my wife and I. I've just had a baby. She's home by herself looking after her kids. Dan McStay just done his name literally the day before the course started. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm authentic, just go home. And I'm sitting in this course, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with all this opportunity that I've been thankfully given. But I couldn't help but think I just wanted to go home. Mm. So I'm wrestling with this in my head. And then it was it was a full eight days. And I got to Wednesday and I thought, no, you've got to step in. And my wife goes, no, step in. And, and from that moment, I sort of released the inhibition, if you like, I... I embedded myself in the relationships with the people we're working with, which was really powerful. When we get to the grand final, I was watching it and I was watching certain players kick goals and every one of them had a story. And I thought, oh, I think I'll go through the grand final with with the coach. And at certain moments, okay, Pendlebury kicks a goal here. How's he achieved what he has, which, which we'll get to. But the bloke that wasn't there is Dan McStay. Mm. And then he's re-injured himself. So uh, it, it, with your... Well, I don't know if it's your coach's hat, your human hat. Did, did, did you ring him? What, what do you yeah. say? Well, well, you can go into a private conversation as much as you want, but what do you say about someone that you love and has strived and worked with you and then it's taken away? Well, the, the obvious thing is you don't know what to say. And and whatever you, you say, you're thinking that it's not going to help. Other than I, I just generally go to a love and care and love and support mindset where I'm just here for you, mate. And I don't know what that looks like in your eyes. I just, I just want to be here for you. And yeah, you know, I'm offering an arm to put around them, or a hug, or a, you know, just some form of you're not alone. Um, 
and and everyone's different. You know, some some are standoffish, and everyone goes through their own grieving period and and coming to terms with things. He he had an incredible positive mindset right from the start, which funnily enough has really helped his rehab. He's well ahead of schedule, so mm-hmm. I don't know if that that's something for others to think of. Of course, it does. Has uh, to be. Yeah, you'd wonder whether it's it's significant, but I but I think of Dan. Um, like others that lose something, one, you have perspective. I've just hurt my knee. There's far many other things that are worse this, than this in life. Um, but the perspective of go, all right, and I, and I try to embed this because I think it's a great way of thinking of things. I've lost this, but what can I gain? And when you have an ability to go, I've lost this, what can I gain? Then you do change your mindset to go, right, where's my energy go? And then you stop thinking about things you don't have. Mm. And I think there's a great opportunity for those like Dan that's you know, going to be out of the game to improve himself or find something else or you know, create something more. Like if you go, to the, you look at him physically and they go, wow, he's gained. He looks massive. He's huge and strong. And so there's one thing. The other part of it is you know, how does he improve himself? A young man that you know, has their opportunities to improve himself in other ways. So there's, there's some of the things that not at the time, but as the, t- as the dust settles a little bit and there's an opportunity to then look a bit clearer, there's some things we've talked about. Tell me about Sullivan's Beach and footy <laughs> and, and you're growing up as a young uh, fellow. This is going to be hard now. He's, he's, he's nervously <laughs> reached for a glass of water. You're rubbing your arms before and I thought, there's not a man that's relaxing. Now you've gone for the water. Maybe Tommy can get something in it. Every, every bloke uh, in your team's brought out a premiership wine. Maybe we should have lined a few of those yeah. over Darcy Moore or Scott Pendlebury. I'm really proud of um, where I've come from. Really proud. Um, Which is where? Solomon's Beach, it's south of Adelaide. It's near Christie's Beach, uh, near South Adelaide Footy Club. Um, my mum, we lived in this house. It's a very um, housing trust house that my mum just sold and got a record price for not much money, but she's moved into a retirement home. Um, on our street, it was a really s- small street uh, in this suburb of a 1,000 people. Um, I had another guy that we grew up with, he played AFL footy too. He was a year older than me, maybe two. And there's two guys that played AFL footy from this one street that you go, wow, how does that happen? And I don't know, we just had this unique, uh, maybe most people in that in that time would just be the same storytelling, is, is we, we, we got home from school and you didn't need to come home until dinner was ready. Mm-hmm. And quite often that was, you know, get inside, <laughs> dinner's on the table stuff. So we would ride bikes, play cricket, kick the footy all the time. You know, we, we had this incredible big park at the end of the street where we had the luxury of hitting golf balls as far as we could hit them, play footy, footy clubs down the road, school was a walking distance. It was just such a good time. And so we were so, so constantly doing something. So that 10,000 hours rule of learning your skill, we'd had that by six. Yeah. <laughs> like we were that busy doing sport and, and we were right near the beach too. Um, so we had the luxury to go to the beach, and yeah, I, I'm very fortunate for my upbringing. upbringing. It was um, dad was a welder, um, worked extremely hard. He taught me a great work ethic. Forty years as a labourer, a welder. Mum was a stay-at-home mum and just provided for us. Mum's um, four foot ten. Is she? Yeah, she's got a beautiful, caring soul. Um, and so your dad was old school. Yeah, work yeah, ethic. Yeah, dad. Dad was old school. Um, I do recall. Being sort of, I was tiny, as you know, praying to God that I could grow, um, and a late maturer too. I I finished um, high school at sixteen for some. I don't know how this happened. I still don't know how, but I finished high school at sixteen and I went to to, to university to be a teacher. And I'd finished my uni degree at nineteen. You didn't go from year seven to year nine, or I, I, don't, I don't know. No one can explain to me. So I'd picture like underdeveloped, hadn't gone through puberty, finishing year twelve. It was it was. Awkward, yeah. yeah. Like, and so then picture that also. Mum, four foot ten. I'm not an overly big guy. I'm skinny and small, and and playing, you know, footy and and I, and I like to think I was, you know, a pretty good footballer at that age. Um, but Dad made me earn everything I got. I keep I keep referring this story at Christmas time. Uh, I kicked twelve goals one day in an under thirteen game, and Dad was the the coach, but also had to be the umpire for some games. And then we'll do three, two, one votes. And um, so I kicked 12 goals one and I missed out on winning the, the league best and fairest by one vote, but dad didn't give me a vote that day. 
<laughs> Tell me two kids had 70 and five. I've gone, geez, the other kids must have been pretty good. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he, and he still tells me, oh, you had to learn the lesson. I was like, what lesson is that? Lesson? Yeah. <laughs> Kick 12 and don't get it. Get a vote. Um, who, who's the other chap in your street that played footy? Mark Visker, his name. Oh, he yeah. played for the Adelaide Crows. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. And we, so we had, yeah, a lot of, lot, lot of joy growing up. But yeah, that's somewhat of a snapshot of, of where I come from. And So and who'd I, you first play footy for? Uh, I played I played for a Solomon's Beach primary school and then we went to high school and played for Hackham for a bit and then back to a Solomon's Beach club really close to home. And um, yeah, all my, all my mates. Now, I went back at Christmas time. I go back and stay at a caravan park not far from where I grew up. Um, and, and yeah, I catch up with all my mates. They come over to the grand final. I, I, my friends now are the ones I've known since primary school and kindergarten. Huh. And we, we've had 50th birthdays together still. It, it's a great connection to... And, and, I, and I stand by it. I'll never forget where I come from. Back to Craig shortly. Next up on the show. Oh, yes. My favourite NRL player. My favourite for his dash, his flair, his attitude and his ability to grind his way back from some terrible injuries in recent times from the Melbourne Storm, Ryan Pappenhausen. Yeah, bang. Here's Pappenhausen. He's made the break over halfway. Pappy's on his way again. They're not improving. Melbourne take first points in the second half. That is Ryan Pappenhausen next up on the show. Let's get back to Craig. Did you always want to play footy or was footy just something you did? Like obviously you were going down, you'd obviously educated yourself as well, so there was a plan B, but footy was plan A or no? Yeah, I, I used to sleep with a little soft footy. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I love footy. Absolutely. Who did you go for? I went for South Adelaide. Right. Which was the Blue and White Panthers, and they didn't have much success back then, I must admit. Um, still not sure if they've had much more. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a guy called Mark Naley, who unfortunately passed, um, he played State of, State of Origin footy for South Australia, and he went to Carlton. Yes. And so my attraction to Carlton was the Blue and White, and I buried for Carlton as a young lad. Growing up, so I don't know if I should say that out loud. It's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. And who who were you guys apart from Mark Naley? As the, Stephen Kernahan, ah, right. Craig Bradley, so all, the, all the South Australians. And and then growing up, the state of origin was the biggest thing you can imagine. Like watching these guys at against Victoria at, at uh, Footy Park and the cold winter seats. And yeah, they were my memories. And I idolised it. And I've always wanted to play league football. South Australian, their NFL football was really strong at that time. There was no Crows. So I'd aspired to play South Australian footy, and yeah, yeah, I've always had an ambition to. And as as those as you do as a kid, you have dreams, and then as you become an adult, they become goals. So my dreams become goals, and I vividly remember um, running and training really hard. Um, and then you, you know when you get into a rhythm of breathing, like that sort of stuff, I would constantly just run, go, I'm going to play for footy. I want to play for footy. Wow! And I just drove myself to this, yeah, to this goal that I had an ambition for. And with the guys you eventually played with, on purely a talent level, if, well, I don't know, you can tell me who was a 10 that you played with talent level, whether, whether it was Ackermanis or Voss or Brown, what, what, what number did you sit on the talent scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be low down the, the order comparing to those guys. Um, it's funny though, just quickly go back to yeah. um, Solomon's Beach. I had a mate who was a state basketballer and, and he played for an opposition team to, to, not, to not, um, Christie's Beach and he kicked 150 goals in under 16s so and like uh, elite state basketball for 150 wow. goals and he, and he didn't want to play over footy. Yeah. He, and, and, and I still love him. Ashley Bird, if you're listening, are you a great man? Super talent, but he chose a different pathway and, and I think that's probably... Um, for me, I maybe wasn't as talented as him, but I wanted it. Yep. I, I, and I was prepared to do whatever it takes and, and train hard and things. And I probably, using that language when you compare me to uh, trying to get me to rate myself versus Brown, Ackermanis, these guys, you know, I, I was, I had talent to make AFL footy, but I, I had a desire to get the best out of myself. Which, which, which took, my, yeah. on 200 plus episodes of this show, and I always use the analogy for the Four Ricky Pontings that have been on this show, they're ever going to make it. There's 195 Justin Langers who got knocked back along the way, but yeah. exactly what you're talking about is desire. Yeah, well, I remember getting through the pathway to Glenelg because, funny enough, where I grew up, there's a creek. And then if you lit on the right side of the creek, you're Glenelg. Right. And this is such a small little pocket. Left side, you're South Adelaide. And I'm 
just a stone throw over the creek. So I'm at Clonelk's pathway. Right. I don't know how it worked. Yeah, I remember the pathway and I, and I kept getting knocked back, you know, just too small, not good enough, whatever. And a turning point for me was uh, under 17s. Um, I'm trying out and to do the full pre-season with a group of my friends and they they made it and I didn't. And I did the whole three months and I remember they saying, um, sorry, guys, you cut. And back then it was ruthless. Mm. Yeah, I like your hustle, but you cut. You know, the old Simpson episode? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah, expect the yeah. Simpsons to get a roll yeah, out I here. like you, but you're cut. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, you know, getting looked in the eyes, I'm cut. But then they go, what, what, we, what we're offering is if you want to stay around, you can keep training, you can. Um, but you, you know, we, we understand, go back to your local clubs. Well, I stayed. And I kept training without playing. And I remember I just kept turning up and turning up and turning up. And it was like halfway through the year. They're going, why is this little fella still turning up? But I did. And then, you know, back then uh, a group of guys got sick, middle of winter. And there was, you know, five, six guys couldn't play. And we're going, who are we going to pick? Oh, not that little kid, surely not. It's the water boy. Yeah. <laughs> is he still here? <laughs> and and they played me. And I remember I was so ready and I was so determined and I'd done all the work and I went out there and I kicked seven goals. Kicked seven? Seven and then I've played every game after that. You know, for Glenelg? For Glenelg In your first game? Under 17, yeah. So wow. Then, and then that sort of was a, it was a for me it was a, uh, something I, I hung on to and go, hey, don't give up here. Never give up. Yep. Just keep persevering and, and, you, the, you know, and things don't always look rosy for some and this is my story. So in my head, obviously you went to Brisbane and had that tremendous success, but reading about it and talking about it with Tommy, um, you went to the Bears. Mm-hmm. So you, you got drafted to the Bears? Yeah. So how, how did that work? What was it like? Yeah, I was drafted to the Bears. I was drafted um, in the mid-season, well, so the pre-season draft back then. Okay. And what year are we talking? 93. Right. And then Robert Walls was the coach, and huh. back then they said, I've grown up by now. I've, I've gone through puberty just. You've got some yeah, but I'm, hair? Yeah, just. And then um, I'm quite light. So I was about 60 kilos. and too 60 light. kilos? 60 kilos. But when I, you were bagging goals for Glenelg? Yeah, and but, but I was I had speed and I was really quick. And so that was an asset. Um, and then, yeah, I could kick the ball a long way for a little fella. So they, they, left footer? Yeah, left footer. And so they said, uh, Robert Walls, I remember talking to him over the – but not the pay phone, you know, normal ring the old phones. He said, I oh, look to stay. Play it the next year with Glenelg, develop yourself. I thought, this is perfect. You know, I'm playing SNFL footy, Choco Williams, the first coach. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing footy and I thought that competition is better than the reserves in Brisbane, just my mind. I don't know if that was real, but that's what I thought. So I played the whole year with Glenelg and then I got a groin injury late where the old OP type thing and I had to have an operation. And that set me back in my mindset. I thought, well, I wanted to go up there with, you know, here I come and I'm going to play. But I didn't have that excitement, so I decided not to go. And then <laughs> I remember Robert Walls going, what do you mean? Like, I got my dad to ring because I was scared to ring. Dad, dad can you <laughs> ring him tell him I'm not going? And my dad being, as he is, he goes, What's your dad's he's, name? he's not, Kevin. Kev. I'm not, he's not coming. And I remember <laughs> I'm in the lounge room, he goes, I don't care what you say, he's not coming. <laughs> this is to roll walls. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't imagine how that's going down the other no, end. Not I, too not good. That, now that I know Walsy, that's not going to be a great conversation for my dad to hear. But um, but I decided not to go and I stood my ground and, and, and somewhat naive, but also somewhat of me being me. I said, no, I'm just going to back myself in here. If I'm going to have another year at SNFL, which again I thought was better than Queensland football, if – Brisbane dropped me off. I'm going to have that good a year. I'm going to work that hard that someone else will pick me up. Mm. Now, I know that now is so naive. But at the time, that was my plan in my head. Um, so anyway, so I recovered from my groin operation and then got to work and, and then had a really good you know, season and then went up to Brisbane. And what was the Brisbane Bears to you? Because when we think Brisbane now, you know, we think that Warwick Kappa and Carrara and Wolsey, you know, being a pretty rough coach and they're being the bloke that own the place and Christopher Scase. Christopher Scase and like what what was the Brisbane Bears to you? Um at that time not it wasn't had a, had uh, no success attached to it. And it was sort of like wasn't really in my thinking. I just like I said to you, I'm breathing. I want to play our footy when I'm running. So it was a desire to 
wasn't really about that. And, and I knew that um, there was a lot of youth there and I didn't know, you know who and what at that stage. But I went up there and, and I was 21 by that stage but still looking 16. And, and so I've um, gone up there and there's all of a sudden I rock up and there's young Jason Ackermanis starting the same year as me, Clark Keating just starting, huh. Michael Voss was there. Nigel Lappin has just been drafted. Justin Lepich had just been drafted. Chris Scott had just been drafted. Wow. And then Darrell White was just in his second year. And and all of a sudden, like, I didn't know at the time because you just think, oh, just we're all young. Yeah, and, and we were all growing up away from home in the same place. And um, we, we, we made the finals in my first year. Who, who was your first game against? First, say, so you, you've been living and breathing. When do you first play? Played Waverley against Hawthorne. We lost by 10 goals. Against the Mighty Hawks. Yeah, 10 goals. Who'd you play on? Uh, Andy Collins. Andy Collins. Yeah, kicked a couple of goals on him. <laughs> Did you? So you kicked a couple in your first game. Yeah, yeah. And I remember back then it was fear. The coach was for fear. And Wolsey, would, we lost by 10. Ross Lyon played in that game from memory. Um, yeah, we, we, we sat down after the game, and, and this is my first game. He's, Wolsey just gets the finger out, starts pointing at every player and telling them how bad they were. <laughs> and I remember telling Chris Scott, who was a big pumpkin head, because he just won the Rising Star the year before, and and he goes through, and there's some really big words that can't be said here, and and really demeaning stuff too. Like I'm not sure how this is helping. <laughs> like, are you trying to make me feel bad? And he gets to me, and he points to me, he goes, "Well, it was your first game. We can't expect much more." And then, <laughs> and then the next one. But you, it was just crazy back then. What 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 we thought was normal. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because to. We'll get back there, but to jump forward, I can't remember which final it was. We were calling it on Triple M, and Darcy Moore leads the team out, and Dugowie's behind him and the two Dacos boys, and then I think the Crisper and Maynard. And I remember describing along the lines of, these blokes look like they're going to a 21st. <laughs> like, they just looked so happy. So Darcy Moore has just come out of the rooms. It'll be fascinated that he's got his tongue out Gene Simmons style at the moment. Dugowie starts to clap the hand. Darcy Moore looks like he's on the way to a Taylor Swift concert. He's that happy. Smiles, clapping hands. The roar will tell you everything when Collingwood come out looking for a 16th Premiership. And Jason and Luke, not so much Nathan, because Nathan is a very sort of happy-go-lucky, but Jason and Luke almost couldn't identify with that that it was even the same sport that they were playing because yep. they grew up exactly what you're yep. talking about, jeans and, and Terry for Luke, and there's your blokes running out looking like yeah. they've had three vodka cruisers and they're off to 21st. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Well, I hope they're not. <laughs> no, I'm sure they were. But you'd be blown away with the energy they have in the rooms before they go out there. And, and I've let them have that. Like, I shouldn't say let them have that. It's theirs. I, I'm not in control of that, um, nor should I be. But we make match day um, more of like, not a celebration, but an opportunity to go out and do what we've done all week. If you don't do the work, Howie, and this is not just in footy, if you don't do the work, you, you, you end up hoping things are going to come out. Yes. When you do the work, there's more of belief, and we talk about that. I hate the word confidence, and uh, if because... I, in my head, I don't know what that means. Like, what is it? Like, I'm just, I can't perform because I'm not confident. And I just had these 20 minute interviews with all the young players in the last week or so. And the, and the amount of times players talk about, geez, you're going well. Oh, because I'm confident. I said, okay, tell me what that means. And so, so that word in itself, we break down. And so, through actions, you do the work, you believe you've done the work, and then you should feel confident because you've done the work. And confidence is an outcome. So, you know, you can't j- jump up and do confidence for me, but you can do things that um, you can act confidently, if that makes sense to you. But So we, we, we constantly put in front of the players evidence why they should feel confident, GPS measures, you huh. know, PBs in the gym, you know, training standards are really high. It's so a hard data. Hard data, facts, dealing facts and things that are real. Um, number one pressure team in the competition right now. Boys, let's bring the heat. We should feel confident in this place. See, the language is different. To yes. the, to, uh, let's be confident and we can go win. So we talk about talk about process a lot. So when you do the work, match day for us is, uh, and I've said this before, really my utopia is to watch it in the pub with some mates because we've done the work. Players, take over. Go do the job. Um, that's unrealistic, I know, but it, it's a handing over of, all right, match day, go and do, you know, go perform and execute what we need to do. Um, and the players themselves, 
have got a space of comfort. They're, they're allowed to express themselves. We're allowed to have a laugh. Like you said, back in the day, Robert Walls, I remember losing a game, you know, as we often did in Melbourne, and we'd get back after the game and he'd go, I knew it. I knew it. I saw your attitudes on the bus when we arrived at the airport. I saw it. You know, I could see it coming. I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> wow, Nostradamus here. We laughed on the bus. So we lost. Now, in, in, in reflection, and hopefully Wolsey's not listening, but that, that is quite ridiculous. Yes. Isn't it? Like, yes. That the f- drawing an analogy between laughing on a bus and not performing, I think what we've, what we've developed um, over time is realising that a lot of things don't matter. And then really the things that matter are, one, doing the work to be prepared to execute, and then two, just doing it. Yeah, just execute your role and be present to it. So anything in between really, you know, having a smile in the, me- in the meeting room or having loud music, uh, does it help or hinder you? I think individuals probably have to weigh that up. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's a great example, and I've used it with both my kids, that, the Darcy Moore example, that um, my young bloke at the moment, he's obsessed by cricket, and he loves playing cricket, but then if he gets out, the world collapses on him. And I was like, mate, look at those Collingwood blokes. They're getting paid a lot of money. The whole world's watching them under pressure. But look how much fun they're having. Yeah. Never lose sight of that. Yeah. So it, it's a great, and I know you're a father, it's a, it's a great example. When you, when you talk about you just had a meeting with, with the young kids, so not a specific player here. So so you have a meeting with, a, God, an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like I think of myself at 18 and what I didn't know about the world. You have a meeting with an 18-year-old and he's exhibiting behaviour that you can see is going to, I don't mean going out on the turps, but just not behaviour that's going to allow him to succeed in his football career, mm-hmm. for example. How do you impart that wisdom on him? Is it right there and then, or do you put in your mind, right, over the next six months, I've got to keep an eye out for Joe Bloggs to, to work in it? How do you go about shaping those young men to helping they achieve what they want to achieve when they don't know yet what they need to be? Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, reflecting that I thought I had to be serious yeah. before a game was the in time was the worst thing possibly for me. Right. Um, personality profiling brought that to my attention later in my career. And, and so you're trying to, for many of these young lads, trying to get the habits right, you know, create the habits. And so you know, back in the day when I was um, development coach for 15 years, I would always have a checklist. And it wasn't my checklist, it was theirs. But it was put into a checklist things that you want to achieve Monday to Friday so then Saturday you could just pack your bag and have crump comfort to go play. So we'd work it out. we sit down what it looked like. For, for some it would vary, but it was things like, you know, sleep, what time I'm going to bed, tick, you know, my diet, you know, have I managed my diet, blah, 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 all the way down to training standards and, and then some whatever. So, But Scott Penelope doesn't have a checklist. But he's done it for so long that he just does it. it it's, a, it's habitual now. So you're trying to develop habits that will then become habitual and then you don't have to think about them. So for some, I, one young lad come with this incredible list of um, things that he's doing to, to now be confident. Like He said, oh, I just feel really confident. I said, why? And he says, well, I've done, look at this. This is what I've done. And it was extensive. I go, wow, credit to you. But that's not for everyone. No. So you've got to find guys that don't have structure develop structure for them, so then these habits. And then guys that have structure, don't let the structure control you too much. Yeah, you, know, you got to find the balance of like just, hey, you let something of like that go and just be free. So everyone's a little bit different, but I think bottom line to answer your question is trying to create continuous habits that just become your routine and then the habits will become muscle memory. So then when you're at Brisbane and you're the, well, you're not a kid at this stage and you're going in your successful period, you're coached by Lee Matthews, did, did you have personally these one-on-ones with Lee? No. Right. So so you, you, Lee's never instilling anything new as an individual? No, he, yes, many things, many things. But, but, the, but they're a, a bit more wise old owl stuff. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, the, the great story of um, humbleness and gratefulness and appreciative what you got and team. But, but that, that's to the group, is it, as yes. opposed to the individual? So yeah. you're not wandering into Lee's office and he's saying, okay, no, I, I think I've probably had one or two conversations a year with, with Lee, and that's mainly in the hallway as we were walking past each other. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's no reflection on him or you. That's just how professional sport has changed, and you're at the forefront of that change, obviously. Yeah, and I think going back to 
the way we were coached, um, it was yeah being told, and it was fear. We, most of us were coached through fear. So you played through fear. Yeah, mostly. Uh, I think Lee had a, an aura as opposed to fear. Still does, to be fair. When yeah, I see does, him in yeah. the media area, I'm like, I feel like calling him Mr. Matthews. <laughs> I, I seriously do. Yeah, he's got an aura and he has a presence. And yeah, and I think he has an incredible ability to, to manage people and what people need and, and coach individuals to what they need. But but it's different now. Like, you know, teaching was different. Teaching now, it's, it, the whole world evolves. We, we, I think rightly so. We'll, we'll like to have affirmation for when we do things well. And and so we should enjoy things, um, have fun doing it, like you're saying to your young ones. So like, let's let's have fun doing it um, because there's a lot of, lot of things in life that aren't mm. much fun, aren't they? So, but uh, yeah, life's changed a lot, hasn't it? So three premierships, like you're, regardless of coaching, like you, you're a triple premiership player, which in our game is the... You know, the creme de la creme, it's an, an extraordinary thing that you and your team achieved and they're great to watch your football team. From those three premierships, just give me, it doesn't have to be a significant moment, just give me something that sticks out in the mind uh, uh, in a game of football, in a grand final, post a grand final, just something that you hold on to, you think, gee, I was part of something pretty cool. Yeah, that there's many, there's many. Uh, there's uh, probably, probably even now when we catch up, like you caught up the day after the grand final, um, and went and saw most of the guys were there, including Lee. So there was a reunion after. Yeah. So you just won the premiership, and you went to the Brisbane reunion. Yeah, and I was I went the year before, and and I thought to myself, um, I'm always going to turn up because back to my Sullivan's Beach days, never forget where you come from. Mm-hmm. I'm not here without my Sullivan's Beach days. I'm, I'm not talking to Howie, Howie's games and podcasts. <laughs> Feeling uncomfortable drinking your water. Can I give? I'm I'm on I'm on I'm on. I've made it. <laughs> Goes my wife. Um, but I'm not I'm not at Collingwood without my Brisbane stuff. So I go back with great respect and, and admiration for my time there and, and gratefulness. So so I go back there and one of the things that stands out for me now, I don't know what comes first and I still don't know the answer to this, maybe you do, um, quality character of people and success or success and then because and then we're all just good people. Like what I, I'm, I'm torn in between, you clearly need talent. But there's so many quality people in that premiership group, you know. There's just and different versions of it. Pikey, yeah. Pikey's a unique individual, but wow, what a what a caring guy that's put this whole thing together. The reunion, there's just, just different qualities, but there's amazing depth of quality amongst the humans there, um, which I don't lose sight of. So I'm great to be part of that team, but there's so many people there that I just admire and inspired by. You talk about now you try and enjoy the, the the depths of the wins. As a player, once you win your first premiership, are you reveling in that or are you, Kelly Slater, starting to think about the second? Uh, Lee, Lee was probably the catalyst for us all to move quickly and we, if anything, become more Lee by the end of it. But early days winning is like, oh, good luck that we're going to enjoy this for the rest of our life. But then the reality sets in that you get back to work yeah, six weeks later, whatever it looks like, even even more than that. Um, I do remember when the first premiership, and I'm a spare parts player, didn't play much game time on the grand final day, so you're sort of like, yeah, I won, but there's this little bit of like, oh, get me on the ground, I want to do more. I know you played all year and contributed to make, helping the team. You didn't get sort of Travis Kelsey give Lee push and shove like no, no, the coach, no, did not you? Not quite, not quite. <laughs> 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 no, but but it's there's this. So I, I and I was out of contract, and then there's some after the first one. Yeah, and the, and Lee rang me about a week later. Said, "I'll can I come over?" And we lived in the same suburb. And he, I thought, "Oh God, I better tidy up." Lee's going over, <laughs> and he he comes. He's there in five minutes, and he tells me we don't have a contract for you. And and so th- uh, this sort of stuff just keeps repeating in my life that you know I'm gonna have to keep earning things to get where you gotta. You want to be successful. There's a few speed humps coming. And and so there's, don't have a contract for you, celebration for two or three days, don't have a contract, going, okay, what do I do? And he goes, explore your options. And 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 I'm going, okay, wow, right, get on the phone of my manager. <laughs> still didn't get a tattoo, but the tattoo's still wet for most, and I'm trying to resonate with this and come to terms with all this. Um, and then so my manager got, 
busy and there was a couple of offers to go back to Adelaide and, and that was really getting really close to happening. To go to the Crows? Crows and it was three-year contract and way more money than zero. Um, and then so I started to think, God, I'm going to have to go back to Adelaide and not that I wanted to at that time. And somehow within that three or four-week period of finding what ne- what's next, um, Lee said we can offer you minimum wage um, and you know, money per game which was a big setback from where I'd been, a sort of seven-year player, eight-year player. Um, and I said, no, I'll do it. Why? Why did you take that over the comfort and security and going home? One-year contract too. I, I just I just backed myself in like I've always done. Like I said, I'm not going to go to Brisbane. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a great year. I'm going to train like I've never trained. I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrongly and, you know, you're going to – and that I just had this, show, you know, show you I can do this. Hence, maybe the knockbacks along the way. Here it comes, repeating the same story, and and I did. I, I didn't stop training, and I trained and, and was fitter than I've ever been, and had a great season two thousand and two. Um, won another premiership. Won another premiership, and then what do you reckon happened, Howie? I oh, he didn't come again, did he? Unfortunately, we don't have enough money in the the, the second one. Yep, and then what do you reckon happened in the third one, Howie? <laughs> it's just a one year contract at minimum wage. Really? And and uh, at, after the first one, I realised you know what. This is just what it is. I'd rather have success than than the attachment. To, yeah, is it money? Whatever. You know. So I wanted to be part of a, a great team, and um, yeah, I got paid minimum wage and earned my money throughout the whole time um, throughout all the premierships. That's did he ever? I know it's a different generation, and I don't know Lee on an intimate level. But did he ever pull you aside and say, "You stuck it out. You've done it, and now." No, not really. No, but but he he had this, and these are the lessons I've learned and I use continuously. I was a role player. He would value all of us: Sean Hart, myself, you know, guys that would play roles for the team. Brad Scott was an incredible role player, and and he he glorify our roles to the group because Fossey he's getting accolades. Simon Black's winning Brownlow medals. Acker's all Australian. Leper's all Australian, and all this is going on. And but us little fellas, you know, doing our bit for the team and and. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags. We're in. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I'll do whatever the team needs. Uh, he he would make sure that the whole group valued it. Um, and the external world didn't find it sexy to be a chasing forward at that time, and that's what Lee valued. But the external world finds it sexy that you're a triple premiership player and one of the greatest teams that's ever played the game. Yeah, and, I, and I'm grateful to be part of that, and and happy to be mentioned. I don't even know where my medals are, but that yeah, the attachment to the team, and I, and I see that now. I'm a role player at Collingwood. You know, everyone's sort of saying, yeah, you're the coach and, you know, can I get a selfie? But I'm the role player because I'm just doing my job, what the club needs right now. You don't know where your premiership medals are? I don't know where my, my um, Brisbane ones are. No, I think my wife's got them in a um, makeup bag somewhere. I don't know right. where they are. <laughs> and, but, but you were the uh, – and I heard Michael talk about this um, in an interview, I think it was on the wireless on Triple M, which I didn't know, that you, you were the king of Mad Monday organisations. Yeah. I think this is where my coaching stuff started from. Right. Okay. Well, this is a this is a um, theme I'd like to explore. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of um, like I like having fun. I do like I, I like having fun. Um, I wouldn't drink all year, nor could I, because I, I was on a nice edge for to try to keep myself in the game. Um, but I was disciplined. But after the season, and Vossi was the same. We were, we were great mates. We, we'd have beers. You know, we'd we'd drink together and celebrate the successes and and. Um, so Mad Monday, really it stemmed from before the premierships, we'd have Mad Monday and we had a group and, and some would just cause a bit of trouble. And I hated it. Like, like I didn't drink and at the end, I want to have a beer with the boys. And so we got, my idea was go to a pub, have a beer with the boys, have some fun. And so then we'd get kicked out everywhere. I'm going, oh, God, this is the fourth place we've been kicked out. Are you serious? We just... <laughs> Can we not do this? Like, what are we doing? This is not fun. Why are we doing this? Like, guys dropping trays of glasses. I go, what are you doing? <laughs> Can we not? And so I, d- I was determined not to have that repeated. That was one year before. I said, you know what? I'm going to run it. I'm going to make it an event. So they had a whole year of planning this, and I got Vossi on board. He's the captain. Yeah, yeah, Fly's running the Mad Monday. So he gave me the you know, the green light to go ahead with it. And then I got Leper involved and... And we made it an event, and it just grew over the years. What, what type of an event? Well, the the grand poo bar of the best events <laughs> yes. was the two thousand three one, where we actually had a, a ring for boxing, like oversized glove, and we had um, 
you know, a, a card of like the main event versus, and we had star fighting players with big gloves and we had the <laughs> corporate corporates come down, had a corporate box for them and um, we had toad races. We had, <laughs> toad race, that sounds real Queensland. Yeah, it was. And, and then we had, uh, yeah, there's so many layers to it. We had national anthem with Joel McDonald was a player. He was a great singer. He played the national anthem and we had everything, you know. And when we moved, the, some of the guys liked having a, a, a bet on the races and we moved the event. I decided to move and there was no, none of that. And I got some backlash. So so I recorded on a VHS some of the races. <laughs> and stuck them on. <laughs> and I put them on and put our own odds to it. <laughs> so, and then we auctioned it off if you wanted to buy it. So a little, it went pretty big. That was the, that was probably the most memorable. Do you think, um, it's just struck me. It's not, it's not yours whole in solely. And I know that's what you'll say to me, but do you think maybe the, the biggest gift you're giving to football is making it fun? Uh, it's a it's a it's a precious thing. Like it's such a serious a industry, and yeah. it's analysis. And you know, there's this bloke hasn't done a good job this week, and he's castigated because, you know, he he didn't mark this ball running back with a flight. And but it's fun with you. Well, it's a long bow to think that I'm the master of fun for the game, but I but I I do want to make sure that our players have that deep wins, shallow losses mentality. So when they leave the game, that their cup's not empty and are not fulfilled because we're in such a competitive industry that, you know, we, we've got to find balance. We've got to find balance within what we're doing. And and if you come to training and watch us train, we have this boundary line philosophy that you step over it and you are on. And when I say on, it's some of the best standards you'll ever see. And when it's not, I'm driving, I'm going, hang on, that's not us. But you step off, <sighs> take a breath. Talk about what you're doing tomorrow, yeah, mm. and have a laugh. Go get a drink, get some massage, whatever. All right, boys, back up on the line. We're ready to go for the next drill. Run on and we go. And I think, you know, the analogy of a wicketkeeper that, that is in the in the um, field for 90 overs, Yep, he's not on for 90 overs. He's sit there ready for the ball, grabs it, throws the slips, crosses his arms, talks about, yeah, geez, look at that over there. Like that. That's the approach we want to have. Now, in 90 minutes of footy or 120 minutes of footy on, on Saturday, there ain't much space in there to find for the breaths. So there's, there's, we've got to find places where it fits. I love it. Mm. That is the end of Craig McRae Part A. Plenty more to come in Part B, including, yes, the Collingwood Premiership in detail. <laughs>